Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Warwick, Rhode Island, recording this in my daughter's playroom. Uh, this was a really fun episode, um, something I've actually been looking forward to putting out for a while. I'm really happy with how it came out. Uh, Taylor is my new friend. Uh, we've confirmed that after our interview because, boy, howdy, did we just get along real well. Uh, we had a lot in common. Um, so before this interview, I actually had met Taylor through our uh, friend of the show, Sean Cologne, when he had approached me with this idea of doing a punk rock documentary filmmaker roundtable, which we did, which featured um, John Nix, who just made Beyond Barricades, has been on the show, uh, Sean, who made the, uh, the documentary A Fat Wreck, and then Scott Crawford, who made Salad Days, and I believe his new movie Cream about uh, Cream Magazine just came out, and also on that panel was Taylor. And um, at that point, I had seen Ska movie. I'm um, sorry. At that at that point, I had I saw Pick It Up Ska in the '90s, which I absolutely loved. And Taylor was kind enough to send over a screener for the last blockbuster, which will be available for video on demand on uh, Tuesday if you're listening to this in real time on December 15th, which I recommend everyone get. And the last blockbuster was honestly, it's one of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen. I, I watch a lot of documentaries, enough where I can host a, a, a panel about it and like to do that again. Uh, but um, a huge fan of documentaries. You know, I, I'll share this in the episode as well, but, you know, I, I don't give two shits about Blockbuster. Uh, so this wasn't a movie I walked into. I'm like, oh, my God, I miss Blockbuster and nostalgia. I grew up, my um, my family has always been more of big small businesses. I My Uncle Greg owned a chain of, uh, I think, some stores of uh, – video stores in the Boston, Boston area growing up. So we just, we were never a Blockbuster family. But this movie is so much more about the company of Blockbuster while that story is in there and really what told really well and really interesting. It's more about this, like, one store and this woman, Sandy, and this community that's been built around it where they were a small mom-and-pop store. Blockbuster came in, strong-armed them. They forced them to change into a Blockbuster. And then there's one Blockbuster left. Even today, I'm recording this December 13, 2020. Even with COVID, they're still open. And the woman who runs it is just, I, it just, she, oh my God, there's a part of the documentary with her and her family that just brings you to tears. It's so beautiful. Um, and I think that's what Taylor does really well. He balances a tone. He, he has all the people I love in it, you know, Ron Funches, Kevin Smith, um, Doug Benson, uh, Warren it's, it's fucking nuts, but like Sandy, there's something about Sandy that you really get pulled in by this. Um, so I absolutely love this documentary. I actually watched it twice now. I've, um, like many people have been going through some rough patches and sometimes you just need some optimism and some hope and a little, a little quirky documentary. So I recommend this to everyone. Please, 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 if you can, uh, rent it, buy it, whatever it comes out, there's going to be a really fun uh, watch party with a uh, film threat that will be on December 18th. They're going to be doing that on their uh, Twitch, YouTube, Periscope, which is Twitter and Facebook Live. Uh, you can find that at filmthreat.com. We're going to post everything on the Let's Chat podcast, uh, Twitter, and as well as the um, in our various groups. Uh, so, but make sure you follow that. Uh, follow, you know, t- make sure you follow Taylor online. Um, I'm, I'm at this point. I'm, I'm straight up a fan of his. I love. Last Blockbuster, truly one of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen. I love Scott. Pick it up in the 90s because I fucking love Scott. And I think they really hammered home what Scott is and what it means to so many people past that, like, uh, past Real Big Fish. And I and I like Real Big Fish a lot, but, you know, it's it's more than that. So, I'm, I don't know, Taylor's definitely one of my new uh, – he's 
I know he's my friend, but he's truly one of my favorite filmmakers at this point. Like, I, he's going to direct a Marvel movie one day. I really think he's the next Taika Watiti to be prepared. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Check out his work. Uh, this website is Pop Motion Pictures. They make, if you like this podcast, you're going to like, you're going to like everything Taylor's making on Pop and in this crew. It's great. Uh, so we're going to have some really big updates coming up very shortly. One I can actually announce right now. Uh, we have started Let's Chat Club. It's, what we will be doing is it's going to be it is, uh, we offer various service with a membership fee, and including that is a access to our private Discord group and our private Facebook group, and we all work together. We've been we've been busting our asses up. We've already we're up and running. Um, we're going to be doing a lot bigger push for this pretty soon, but I'm going to kind of put it right here. So you'll see some new artwork change. I'll be, maybe I'll be writing to you to see if you'd like to join. If you have any interest, please reach out to us at Let's Chat Podcast on all the things or Let's Chat Podcast at gmail.com. And I'd love to talk to you more about it and see if you're interested in it. And um, before we get to the episode, I just wanted to give a quick little update. Uh, thank you to all the kind words and people out there in the Internet uh, who were uh, reaching out, asking, and concerned about some, if if you may or may not know, uh, some health issues I may or may not be having. The long story short, uh, so I work at a, a hospital, which has not been fun right now, a behavior, I work at a psychiatric hospital, and um, I wasn't feeling good, it's not COVID, called the doctor, and I got pulled out of work for a few weeks with the old, something's wrong, we don't know what, we got some ideas, but we gotta do some tests, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to be fair, I'm not terrified up with a heart condition so i guess i always i grew up sick essentially so i i can handle this stuff pretty well um a little frustrating just because with covid being what it is it's going to take longer to get necessary tests done i am enjoying the few weeks off so if i'm a little quiet on social media that will be why and um we have a couple great i guess coming up in, into january and i'm hoping to continue that but there's I'm gotta figure out what I'm gonna do next in terms of uh, my person news, but most of my effort will be going towards more towards all that chat club. So make sure you find us online. Uh, but thanks for other people reaching out. If I know anything, obviously I'll let you all know online. But you know I'm in good health, good spirits. I've got a great work, nothing but kind and supportive, and a great family, been kind and supportive, and uh, feeling fortunate that I can actually. It's kind of a long intro. Let's get to it. find some regular dudes <laughs> I'm, I'm super stoked because like um we had the good fortune of meeting when we did the uh the round table that our, our buddy sean put together uh we put together with sean shout out sean cologne um but i i had the fun oh, that's right i had a really funny story i wanted to tell you um i did the episode before we did the round table i had recorded with um him and john nix and Sean had recorded the audio on his Zoom and then he sent it over to me. But something happened the day we did it where Sean, we did it on John's, Sean's Zoom account and he, he forgot to let me into the room right away. So there's like just like 15 minutes of him and, and uh, John unknowingly me knowing I would hear this later shooting the shit. And uh, Sean and John, if I, could, I might even still have it, they said nothing but really kind things. I remember Sean was like, yeah, and that pick it up, man. Like that Taylor guy, like, I gotta know him. It's like, 
it's like, it sounds like my spirit animal. And, and I'm a huge <laughs> fan wearing his fat wreck shirt right now. I just happen to have it on. Um, after, oh, right see, on. after seeing um, the pick it up in the 90s, I kind of agree. I definitely agree with Sean. Like you do kind of felt like kindred spirits in that sense in, in terms of tone. Yeah. Well, he's been, you know, I reached out to him when I was early in the pick it up process because I had seen a fat wreck and it's kind of exactly the kind of doc that I like, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of cool information and fun anecdotes in there. And so he was on a short list, but I reached out to a bunch of documentary directors because, and even before that on my first movie, because I didn't know what I was doing and I just figured, well, this guy's done it. You know, his movie's out. It was available on my television. So he must know something that I don't know. Um, and he's been nothing but super kind and helpful the whole way through. And it's, you know, I consider him a friend of mine now. And now it's like, it's a small world of like independent documentary filmmakers, but we all, it seems like we're all kind of cut from the same cloth, you know? Yeah. And so, and I'm curious to you, I've been saying, I just didn't have this thought recently a lot that like, at least for me, the podcast scene or like meeting all you wonderful people and like independent movies. But for me, like, my by doing the podcast it's kind of replaced what like the scene was for me when I was younger, like going to shows and stuff, but then, you know, get old life happens and I didn't I have like a regular job and stuff. And now it's like, there's like this, especially the pandemic, I think really advanced that for maybe some of the culture that weren't living on the internet as frequently, but it's like really become like a, a real scene. Like, you know, there's like, I have a, like a producing team like my my business partner and my other producer like we've never met in real life but like i talk to them every i, I mean i see them i talk to them more than i talk to my own neighbors you know it's it's interesting it's it, it, it's so cool how like all these people you know you just kind of pick these little people and then um you know i, I definitely agree with that but i actually really want to start with the beginning because you're kind of a bit of an anomaly to me uh because you love like I can't even explain how much both Pick It Up and Last Blockbuster spoke to me of like everything I love, like two, like it, you just happen to love all the same hyper niche stuff that I also love. Like I was like, when I was watching your stuff and like learning about it, I was like, oh my God, I love all of these things. But then you present it in the right, <laughs> like, I mean, like the Back to the Future documentary and then I saw you cosplaying as Marty McFly. And then, then I find out you were in like a, playing in ska bands for years and years and like, who are you? So yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> who are you? So, who are you? Yeah, that, that's yeah. Really like, so where do you, uh, where do you, where does your journey start? Where are you from? Uh, well, I was born and raised for the first few years in San Francisco, California. Um, but my parents were divorced when I was like one. My dad lived up here in Oregon. My mom lived in San Francisco. So I split my time uh, for the most part. And then going into high school, uh, junior high, I moved up to Oregon. Um, and it was like, it was a small, small town. Like I live in Bend, Oregon now, but the town I moved up to was called Vita. It was one of the towns that was just destroyed in the fires. But um, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, you know, it sucks for everybody I, I knew in those years. And I've still got some family there, but um but that was like a tiny town. Like I had a gas station mm. and a restaurant and the restaurant was my dad owned the restaurant. So I worked at the restaurant um, as a teenager and that was it like four houses. It was like, I don't know, 80 people live in that town. 
And uh, I came from San Francisco, which was a huge, I mean, it's San Francisco uh, in the eighties and in the early nineties. And so I feel like I got a lot of the different life experiences. I, I sort of feel like I got the big city childhood and also the super, super small town childhood and mm. nothing in between. So I think maybe that does affect my, uh, my pop culture touchstones and things. And it's, it's super different. Like in San Francisco, we had a comic book store that I got to hang out at all the time. And, you know, I loved Spider-Man and the X-Men and, and Captain America and all these things that at the time only the nerds were into, mm-hmm. you know, and my friends and I would, would try to play Dungeons and Dragons, but we couldn't figure out the rules right. And there was no internet. So we just did it anyway. And what we ended up doing was just like making little paper toys and playing fake made up adventures, stuff like that. And like the other half of the time I was like, going fishing and hiking in the woods in the middle of nowhere. And we didn't have a comic book store. We didn't have anything. We had this one gas station, but the gas station did rent VHS tapes. Nice. So I could walk down. It was like a third of a mile from my house. I could walk down there and like rent movies. And my dad up here in Oregon had cable and both my mom and dad were very busy people. I was, left alone a lot as, as a did. youngster. Yeah. Well, not really. Cause they both worked from home, but they were oh. like, don't go in that room. That's the working room. You know, that's the mm-hmm. office or like at my dad's restaurant, it would be like there, there was a house attached to a restaurant and there was a door in between. And I wasn't allowed to go through the door. Mm. So like when I would be a, a bratty kid and need something, I would just like open the door and sit there and I'd be like, dad, 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 the cable's out, dad, you know, or whatever it was. Uh, this is all I had. I had action figures and comic books and, and TV and movies. And so I feel like that kind of formed a stronger bond for me with like, I love Ninja Turtles more than I should, but that's what I had. Those were my babysitters, you yeah. know, Saved yeah. by the Bell, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, that... Saturday morning X-Men cartoon in the nineties, all that stuff was that morph episode. Oh man. <laughs> morph, oh morph made me mad. Cause I was such a comics guy and that was the character they made up for the cartoon. Oh, dude, was, and I was like, the, well, he's, he's gotta die. You know, know, he's, he's not part of the team. First, <laughs> I just go make enough characters. First time I ever cried watching television as a kid, like inconsolable. You just like, Oh wow. my God, they die. And then he comes back as a villain later on. I'm still mad about this. Right, I'm right, 36 right. and I'm still, I still think about this. Actually, and I watched it recently, so who are we kidding? I got Disney it's, Plus. It's a reasonable response, yeah. yeah. I know. There's just too many topics for not, I'm going to try to stay on track, but everything, I'm like, yep, I like that, 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 that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that. You know, it sounds, I'm, not, do you ever, I'm sure you must like Dave Chappelle. I'm a huge, like, a, I like Dave Chappelle, like most people, but he has that kind of similar talk of growing up in Ohio and then like kind of living in New York that like uh, double life. But I think that's what makes the most interesting of people, of people who just kind of like get to experience different aspects of culture. Cause uh, it definitely, at least for myself too, it's made me more open-minded of like just shutting yeah. stuff off. I'm like, I don't know. There's, there's fun to do in the, I've had tons of fun in the woods and I've had tons of fun in, in cities, you know, it's like, yeah and there's not there's not a lot of people that can appreciate both you know there's 
I remember because I would live, I lived full-time in San Francisco and visited Oregon until seventh grade. And then I lived full-time in Oregon and visited San Francisco. But as a city kid visiting the woods, man, you really appreciated being able to like build a tree fort or, you know, I would take my GI Joes and my Ninja Turtles and put them in the woods. And it was like, they were in the real world, not just in my bedroom. Um, and then the opposite, like, living in a super small town going to a super small high school that was like all white kids and football was the thing and it was not you know no one was into comic books and mm. very few people were into anything i was into um so i had that kind of different i don't know fish out of water kind of thing oh, yeah. where i went from being a nerd in a big school where i could find the other nerds you know we could all still hang out and talk about the comic books and whatever else um, to like not really having that anymore. And that, that kind of pushed me more towards music. That's mm -hmm. when I was, I was a trumpet player from the age of eight. And uh, when I moved up to Oregon, that was like the thing I had that, you know, there was a school band. I was the only trumpet player in it. Like it was tiny, but it was, uh, it was a place for me where I could, I don't know, fit in with people. And, you know, a few years later, I found out that there was a kind of music, there was this ska music where you could play this dumb school band instrument and like play a real punk rock show at a real venue and people would dance and people would have fun. And so that kind of became my thing for most of my life since then i was i've been in and out of bands ever since pretty much the whole time were you playing scotch uh, shows in oregon or san fran uh oregon what's so the, i was in the school band up here bands? are we i think are we of similar itch age like were you yeah, I was in middle school when the ska boom happened right i was in high school um, okay, yeah. i'm a couple years older than you okay but so. uh Sick, my arrested I, development predates yours so i'm yeah emotionally much younger because <laughs> <laughs> yeah well because you know it's like my um when i was i think i remember the ska boom happened I'm, I'm from connecticut so you don't get out of there without uh being in love with spring hill jack and the ska fan spring hill jack i love spring hill jack i know me too oh yeah they're they're from the town next to where i grew up in Wall i'm from meriden but they were from wallenford but i i wasn't aware of them until at, later on but, um, so my cousin, Sarah, was on tour. Um, she played in a band called Unwound. They're um, mm -hmm. Washington, I'm sorry. I was going to say, she lives in Oregon, but they're a Washington band, like in that, like, Sleater Kenny, like, Sonic Youth world. Okay. <clears throat> but I, I remember her coming through to visit, like, my parents were going to go to see them. I was too young. And I remember her being like, I heard you like ska music and she gave me like a Trojan ska, like real straight, like uh, uh like rock steady album. And of course I didn't appreciate it or love it at right. all, but I held on to right. it. And then eventually would go back, like maybe within the year later, I was like, discovered it. I was like, what? <laughs> what were your uh, first yeah. ska bands? Uh, so I played in a band. I started playing in ska bands in, like 98 um uh took a little longer to get to me because i was in a small town but uh i started in a band called 007 nice um out of eugene oregon 
And that was like my first, I literally answered a, it was one of those flyers with the pieces of paper you could pull off the bottom. And my high school band teacher got it for me at the local college. Like, it's not like I was going and hanging out at colleges or going anyplace cool. I hadn't really been to concerts that much. I didn't know where you would even go to find a flyer trumpet player wanted, but because I was the only trumpet player at my school and my band teacher knew that I was more into punk rock and whatnot, he brought this tab, I, just a little piece of paper. He brought it to school and he's like, you should call these people. They're looking for a trumpet player. And I did that. And I went, I remember I, I had like a, an audition, like a real audition. And the band was all high school kids, except the drummer who was their teacher at their high school, their music teacher. And he was this awesome, he was this big, tough looking black dude. And he still one of the best drummers I've ever seen, but super intimidating guy. And he's like, I don't know, 30, late twenties at least. And we're all 16, 17 years old. So I felt like I was auditioning for him, you know, mm. like he's, he's the boss, not yeah. really. But I went and did this, this audition and it seemed, it was fun. I got to play some songs and, and hang out with these guys that, you know, ska band people are nerds and we all had a lot in common and it was great. But I was pretty sure I didn't get the gig because the drummer didn't seem to like me, you know, at all. And I heard him talking about, you know, well, I got this other trumpet player and, and she's going to come and she'll be great and it'll be, you know, problem solved, no worries. But then I got a call. This was like on a Tuesday. I, I think it was on Thursday. I got a call that said, hey, uh, one of our trombone players is still out. And we've got a gig on Saturday at the Wow Hall. This was like the coolest club in town. Opening up for the Mad Caddies. Uh, can you learn all of our songs and play that show? This doesn't mean you're in the band. Just do it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm like this 17-year-old kid and I'm like, okay, learn their whole, I think it was a cassette tape I had of all their songs. Um, and I played that show and then I was in the band until it broke up in 2003, I think. Oh, damn. That's so, that's so funny. It's so funny to hear you say all that stuff about the horn players because I love the digs you kind of take at them in the, uh, in the Pick It Up Scott documentary in a, friend, in a loving way, but it-, it Oh, it's of course. Like, it made total sense. I am one. Yeah. You know? Now it makes more. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, that, that was yeah. more with love. That part of the movie was the most autobiographical <laughs> part. You know, so, we um, are we are the nerds. Yeah. Even within the nerdy music, we're the nerdy people. You know. Yeah, I know. The the happiest happiest people ever. So like, happy. The Scott kids are just like the best. Like, yeah, they just it just brings me so much joy. And, and so they did the 007s. And then, so like, what's your, you, I know you, you like tried to make a go at it as like a musician. So I know you like got to tour Japan a ton and like get to do all that. And then, but you also talk about this and pick it up about the economics of the Scott band. So clearly you were aware that this probably isn't going to happen for a solo. Yeah. Like, I don't think I know anyone of anyone who has made a career by just playing ska music. They all had to do something else simultaneously, understandably. Yeah, I know a few people who have made a career just playing ska music and it's it's the top, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the goldfingers and the real big fishes of the world. Oh, yeah. You know, that, some of those boss tones don't have to have day jobs, I think. Except yeah, some of, yeah. 
Vicky does have a day job working on the Jimmy Kimmel show. He's the announcer. Is he really? Mm-hmm. Has I been for years. I did not know that. That's yeah. insane. So you're right. It's super rare. Nobody, you know, or the people who do, like, they're not living the big fancy lives. They're just, like, getting by, yeah. working <laughs> positions. You know, you look at, like, Less Than Jake. Those yeah. guys, you know, they do side gigs, but it's, like, music gigs. It's, like, recording and stuff. But they're, I mean, they've been doing it full time for, God, 30 years. And it's, it's their gig. It's, yeah. and it's not making them rich, but it, it's paying the bills. And that's my dream. For some people, that's all you want, right? Yeah. And then and Chris has a good podcast too. The Krista makes a podcast. Love it. It's I love really it. It's, it's like if Song Exploder only worked on songs that I love. Yes. You know, it's, it, I, it's funny too. Cause I, um, I used to see uh, Rishi all the time at, uh, in Connecticut cause 1am radio and like I tweeted with him Cause I remember I had some memory of seeing 1am radio play in like somebody's garage. And then I like tweeted it to him and he responded with the exact date. I'm like, I didn't make it up. It was real. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Funny. That blows my mind about Dickie. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, it you know, just turned that's they nice. just turned Song Exploder into a TV show. Have you seen that? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it is. But it was weird. You know, some podcasts, you, it's just weird to see the people. Like, I don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like radio. Like, like Yeah. Like, when you see a radio DJ or a podcaster, and you're like, well, that's not what you look like in my head. Yeah. So, I guess, don't I make a TV that. show. <laughs> yeah i i knew what he because i also love the west wing weekly that he hosts so like i and like was a one too. so i like i had um knew what he looked like because of that but i know that experience all too well at least i think he oh, comes cool. out on the better side of like he's more handsome than i thought he would be oh yeah like it's way more like, handsome he's, yeah he's a good I, dude a little uncomfortable i'm like stop it with those sweaters duh yeah yeah, oh my, yeah and it, it is really good it, it's very 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 good which i, I really so you're like a west wing fan Yes. Oh, yeah. Big time. Did, uh, did you watch the special HBO did? Oh, of course. Like, I watched yeah. it four times. I watched, I rewatched the series once, like last year, late last year, mm. and then again since the lockdowns. Nice. Yeah. And I, I think that was my sixth time through the whole thing. I think I'm at that. It's, it's like my comfort food show. It's liberal you know? porn. It, it is. Yeah. It's, yeah, because I didn't see it until maybe. I don't know, five years ago. Like my wife has been fans since high school, but then she, um, I remember we, I, I, this is context. We watched it because we got the disc through the mail through Netflix. Okay. And then it came to Netflix right as I finished it. So we watched it all that way. And that was more of like a, have to wait. And then it came to Netflix and like, it's, yeah, we've gone through it a million times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. I still have all the discs somewhere, but I watch it on Netflix because of yeah. convenience. Except they, they mess up the Isaac Ishmael episode. They don't put any context in front of it because it's not right. Canon. And it's, I had to, my friend at work just got into it. I had to explain to him like, it's a special 9-11 episode, but it doesn't actually, it's not canon and doesn't take place in any of the Western yeah. universe. And it doesn't affect mm-hmm. Leo McGarry's character at all. And he's like, he's right. a gem. So just leave Leo alone. Right. That's funny. <laughs> I made a Leo, I'm making Leo jokes at work today. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, and, I, I uh, love this trend. I think they only have... They only have the West Coast debate episode, right? What's that? Netflix only has one of the two debate episodes, the live episode. 
Yeah. Oh man, my favorite the discs you gotta have for both. Oh, I got to buy it. My favorite episode, and like getting some some contention with my family about it, is the um the the debate episode and the later. I actually my favorite season is actually the, the Jimmy Smith years. The like the last like six, mm. I actually love the most. But the debate with him and Alan Aldo's that's my favorite episode of West Wing, and like, uh, wow. I know, it's I, probably it's, my least favorite. Oh, that's because, funny. Because of the format, because it's live, and because uh, of like they don't cut away to anything. It's like oh, yeah. just a debate. Yeah. You know, it's the very beginning and the very end is context. But I was one of those like I I like how they were juggling so many balls in every episode. There'd be an A mm. story, a B story, and a C story. Yeah. And then that episode only has an A story. Yeah. Oh uh, but yeah, I, 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 I mean, uh, yeah, I could spend an hour talking about the West Wing and <laughs> Chad Bartlett and, 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 and some of the, we could stay here for a second, because I think one of my favorite things about watching it now is like, I love media where like, it's just like a little bit of that era, like a little before the internet, or I mean, before the internet was being talked about in culture, because it's always a little head, like there's a great scene and I forgot what season it's like, Josh, it's on the internet, everyone will have it by tomorrow. <laughs> and right. like they're trying to figure out blogs and like Mandy's cell phone in season one like I love that stuff yeah, like yeah. first season Sopranos they're like they're jacking DV, um, DVD players and stuff like right. that oh, I get such a kick out of that and oh man god I fucking I love the wrestling I'm, I'm such a fan of this new trend of like uh, TV rewatch podcast hosts by people who are on the show because I would Me listen too. to yeah, like the Office Ladies and the Scrubs one, and like I'm listening to the Office Ladies one right now. I, I fall asleep to the Office, and then I'll listen to the next the next yeah. episode the next day. It's, they go I, too slow for me, though. You mean who's watching the Office Ladies? It goes too slow. Who's watching one episode of The Office in a week? Oh, I know. I watch like the whole season like once right. a month usually. <laughs> like I'm a big like background music. Am I gonna take a stab in the dark? You grew up a Simpsons fan. I did, yeah, from yeah. the from the Tracy Ullman show days. Oh wow, yeah. Because yeah. I remember my mom I, was a big Tracy Ullman fan, so we were watching the shorts. You know the damn the Simpsons awesome. shorts. Because I remember when I met Sean, um, I had interviewed him when he was doing the first round of Kickstarter uh, Indiegogo for Fat Rack in like twenty. Well, it must be like twenty fifteen, I think twenty sixteen. And I just remember mm-hmm. seeing the preview for it and it having such like a little hint of Simpsons to it. And then I, I got that with Pick It Up in uh, Blockbuster as well. Those like just little jokes that just for the, the uber nerd, if, if you will. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is like totally like I feel like I feel like so much of my comedy development is just based off like The Simpsons. And like Sky was always to me, it was like punk rock meets The Simpsons. It was like the two, th- all my <laughs> friends like The Simpsons like Sky and vice versa. It was just like, oh my God, it was so much fucking fun. And so like, um, what's your what, what's your path from going from musician to filmmaker? I was pretty direct. It was um, well, that's not true. In high school, I was the kid. Uh, you, you watch Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero? Obviously, you youngster. Okay. Oh yeah. Do you remember remember David Silver <laughs> would always run around with the video camera, right? He was making the in the first couple seasons. Yep. Before he got sexy and cool and rapping and became cool and became a rapper. You mean before yeah. the, the soccer hooligans came to the peach pit and uh, they had to yes. uh, squash it. Yes. But he would run around with the video camera. Yep. And so in high school, that was kind of me. They were, they would, uh, 
give us some assignment. Like we need you to do a report on Egypt. And I was like, what if instead I made a music video for walk like an Egyptian? Does that, is that the same as a report on Egypt? Um, it's not, but I got an A because everybody laughed. I made this video of, you know, and at the time it was like monumental to figure out how to put my own music in. You know, I had to use two VCRs oh, wow. and yeah. hook a cassette player up to the one. So you fed the audio from the cassette and the video from the other. And to edit, you would pause on the first VCR and record on the other one and, and unpause. And it was this whole thing. And so that was kind of how I learned like video editing and also what it felt like to like get a laugh with a video. Mm. And I did a ton of those projects every time I could, you know, they would assign a book report or a, a history report or anything. And I would ask, could, can I do a video instead? Is that a thing? And so I did that all throughout high school and they had, it was like a huge video camera that took full size VHS tapes you know, and you put it on your shoulder oh, and, yeah. and film with that. Um, and then when I graduated high school, I didn't, I didn't have any money really, like just ever. I mean, I was playing in bands and crappy jobs and whatever. So I didn't have a video camera again for years and years because I, I couldn't afford one. Um, so it kind of fell off my radar as a thing. Plus, I didn't think anybody like from Oregon can make a movie. That's insane. Don't, you know, everybody in LA makes movies and everybody everywhere else does not. That, those are the rules, right? Um, so I focused on music for like post high school. You know, in high school, I was into all the things and the videos and the music and the art and comics and all that. And then in college, I was really more like I played in bands and I, tried to pass my classes but it was hard um, yeah and like it was like I would drop classes so I could go on tour and and play in these bands and we would tour every summer and I was really focused on music and uh occasionally I was pretty good with computers and I was getting these early um Sony Vegas was a music recording program before it could edit video. And so we were recording demos and stuff on this, on these old ass computers. And um, like we kind of figured out that they could also do video around like 2003, 2004. So I would like help on the music videos we would make. Somebody else would have the camera and shoot it. And I was usually in them. So I wasn't filming anything, but I would help edit sometimes. Not all the time. Other people were editing too. But then later, you know, I would play in other bands where I would be more in charge of doing the media and the, you know, the graphic design and stuff. Cause that's what I went to school for. Um, and so it was real gradual from then on, from like 2005 on, I was always editing video and I was doing like um uh, my job out of college was flash animations when flash was the thing on the internet. Oh yeah. So those dumb, like click to skip the flash intro on a yeah. web page. Like pre, yeah. I, that pre YouTube. I made those. That was you. Oh yeah. Way, way yeah. pre YouTube. I remember and way, like, and it was because the internet wasn't fast enough. So flash was vector based and could load really, really fast. So you could make videos 
they weren't really video. It was only cartoons and not even cartoons, but like the text would move across the screen or like a light would flash or whatever the thing was. Um, but I did that job for like six years. I did that as contract work and played in bands. And that's all I did. That was my, my job. And it didn't pay. You know, I was making like $12,000 a year, but I was living pretty cheap and playing in bands. And that was okay. Um, and then after a while, uh, eventually, <laughs> my wife and I moved to Washington, D.C. We were living in Portland, Oregon, and we moved to Washington, D.C. for her work. She wanted to, like, make a difference and do, you know, impact the world. She, does, um, she was a social worker, and then she wanted to do healthcare policy research in Washington, DC. That's incredible. And she's awesome. And we moved there and she did do that. And I found new bands to play with and they were, you know, I played in a ska band and I played in like a, a rock band. I play guitar too. And um, those bands were taking it a little bit more seriously. You know, they were like really trying to make it more than, you know, oh, they were trying to make it financially viable or whatever. So it was not as much like, oh, just work this part-time job and do this. It was like focus on the band. And when those bands started to make videos, that's kind of when the, the DSLRs started surfacing, you know, the Canon 5D and all that, which made um, legit looking filmmaking much, 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 much cheaper. You know, like at that point, you could get one of those cameras, the cheaper versions for you know, five, 600 bucks and stuff looked really good. And so after we had paid somebody to shoot a music video, we had to, we were getting ready to do the next one. And I kind of just volunteered like, well, can we take some of that money and I'll just buy a camera and then we can have infinite music videos, you know, for the price of one music video. Uh, it didn't really go down that way. I think I ended up buying it myself, but, um, <laughs> the idea stuck and I started doing music videos and then started doing music videos for other bands and making a little bit of money on the side. And then I started doing like in Washington, DC, there's a lot of um, like organizations like trade organizations, educational organizations, healthcare organizations are all based in Washington, DC. So I guess I just knew enough people where I started to get hired to do these like corporate videos and it was right around the time that Apple had decided not to support flash anymore. So my job was disappearing out from under me. Oh. So I basically just transitioned to video. I got really lucky with the timing and started doing these corporate videos and music videos. And I shot weddings for a couple of years and started to make pretty good money as a videographer. Never would have called myself a filmmaker, but I was, making videos full-time, promotional videos for bars, restaurants, um, all these things, CEOs of big companies. And um, that was going great and the bands were going great and all that. And, and uh, DC kind of got to be too stressful for us and it's pretty annoying of a place to live. Uh, just traffic and it's hectic and everybody's go, go, go. And everybody's there to like make a name for themselves in the, the world of working in these places. 
because it's like the national headquarters of this or that, or everybody wants a political career. So we decided to move back to Oregon and this was six years ago. Um, I moved back and all of a sudden there weren't these big organizations and I wasn't shooting weddings and I, you know, there's bands, but nobody has a budget for a music video. So pretty much all of my work disappeared when we moved back to Oregon, but I had the skill set. you know, I'd shot all these interviews and like really cool looking footage. And I was, you know, I had just enough knowledge to be dangerous where I was like, I think I might be able to make a movie with what I know how to do. And yeah. I certainly have lots of free time now because I basically was unemployed. Um, and so that was six years ago now. And it took a while for me to kind of get momentum going, but I made my first movie. I think it was finished within two years of moving here. And I've been in production now, like the blockbuster movie has taken almost four years by the time it's out. So it's been nonstop movie making since then, since like 2016. That's pretty incredible. What was your first film again? It's called here's to life. It's a documentary about, uh, a band called The Refreshments that not That's a lot of people right. know about. They're a one-hit wonder band from the 90s. Um, they also did the theme song from King of the Hill. And That's why that I was, know the name. Yeah, that was my first film, and it seemed like sort of an attainable, you know, I, I just emailed the band and said, can I make a movie about you? And they said, well, we don't know why anyone would want to, but okay. And I did. And we did a Kickstarter, just like, you know, most little indie films, because I didn't know. I don't, I still don't know how you like get money to make a movie. Like you hear about people getting investors and like, yeah, blah, blah. I, I've never seen anything like that. But we did a Kickstarter. We raised like $12,000. Movie ended up costing thirteen dollars to $15,000 to make. And it, over a couple of years, made some money. Like it was a profitable movie, um, just sort of marketing to that band's fan base, you know, and getting it up on Amazon like you do. And so that really hooked me into like, well, if I, if I up the scale and I, you know, do something like ska music, I love ska music. I know I can, I know I can tell the story correctly. I was there. I lived it. It's, it's my life story as told by my musical heroes. So if I can get, like all the big names in ska to be in my movie, then that one could make money too. And then Blockbuster happened around the same time where I just stumbled into this, one of the last few remaining Blockbuster videos. And I was like, at that time I had made one movie and I said, well, I'm a filmmaker. Can I just start filming here? Cause that kid, I've made a movie, I promise. And I brought my movie and put it on the shelf at Blockbuster and I was so proud. and now it's like, that's all I've been doing. I've been breathing and sleeping and eating movies for like four years straight with no no time off. You know, I don't really get to play music anymore. I just make movies. So, well, I mean, it's so interesting to me too, like from the time in the beginning, but it, it, it feels like that the pop culture has kind of been in your DNA anyway, this whole time from like childhood to now anyway. So it's almost like, 
you get to look back and be like all those years with the Ninja Turtles and the GI Joes and all that stuff, like in a way that you could never have predicted really paid off. And like, you know, especially well, with yeah. ska, which is a genre that has been, I mean, you're the one who said it very well in your, your document and pick it up. It's just like, it's just so misunderstood and no one ever fully gets it. And I really think pick it up was the first time I like, I could show it to my wife or my friends and be like, this is what I was into. Or like just the five minute intro with Tim Armstrong explaining the history of ska. I was like, this is what, this solves all the arguments. <laughs> right. So, right. Like I, I, I see it in your work and it makes sense. Like I look at it. I'm like, yeah, pop, it's like, it's like, I'm one of those people too. It's like pop culture. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's, I don't have religion for me. It like, it, it means, it just means something. Right. That I can't yeah. Really for explain. me too. Like I never, I think I, I was forced to go to Sunday school a couple times when I was a little kid, but it never took. Um, but man, did I believe in Star Wars from the age of, I don't know, five when I first saw it. And it's, yeah, that's, that's my religion. Yeah. It's, and it's most movies, not just Star Wars. It's like there's good and there's evil and you can find the moral fabric, you know, just like you can in the Bible, just like you can in a lot of places. It's, it's stories that, you know, convey some kind of lesson or some kind of moral. And so, yeah, you know, I, I learned a lot from those little PSAs at the end of the GI Joe episodes that were like, you know, don't play with matches. And now, you know, and knowing yeah. is half the battle and I'd still played with matches. So. <laughs> and like, and so many people too, you hear now, like all the kids who played D and D when they're younger are now like the Russo brothers and stuff like that. <laughs> like, you know, it's right. like, Everyone like like the amount of storytelling that you learned as a child from like I never play, I still have never played D and D but like I was like oh man that's that's pretty fucking rad yeah so um, yeah and you see like it's it's cool to me I don't know how you feel about it but the fact that you know when I was a teenager I loved the movie Revenge of the Nerds mm-hmm. right it's yeah it was I identified as a nerd, I'm, that was not one of the cool kids. And so that movie gave me like this sense of hope. And then over the past 20 years to see it almost come true, like all the richest people are the nerds and all the highest grossing movies are based on the comic books that I read, you know, that, and video games are now the, the most popular medium for storytelling. Yeah. And it's like all the things we got made fun of in the nineties for being into, that's the cool stuff now. Yeah, you know? it's great. I love it. I absolutely. I, I'm a Johnny come lately when it comes to the superhero stuff. I, I totally didn't get into. I was late for that. But no, yeah, it's true. It, it, it's there's something about it. It's like I was like, is Star Wars even is, is Star Wars even nerd culture anymore? Like it's so a part of the pop fabric, and I mean, especially with yeah. Mandalorian, which that could be a whole other hour right there. Oh my <sighs> god. So good. Katano coming up. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my, my wife um, is the, the, the two, she's actually the Star Wars nerd of the two of us. Like I didn't, she, I didn't get into Star Wars until The Force Awakens. And even then, I, I like them. It's actually Mandalorian is the first time I would actually call myself, but like it's, it's making me go into a really deep dive. But so when we were watching uh, Last Blockbuster and when um, was it James Arnold was, showed up, I just jumped out of her fucking chair. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He's like, he's like nerd famous. Like the people who know who he is love him. And then everybody else is like, who's that guy? 
I guess he does voices. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's like my dream. I just want to get nerd with financial success as well. Uh, like, yeah, like <laughs> nerd fame seems like the B word set. And like, especially voice actors, people are nice to them on the internet. Like it's, it's a nice, like, I'm sure you'd watch. I, I need, I know that voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. Like all those people, like they just seem so nice. And um, yeah, so I know it's so funny. I heard that you, you're, your story of the Scott doc came to be like literally from a Facebook post, which is like the original uh, pulling the tab off a flyer, which is kind of how, kind of how everything happens nowadays. Right. Like, yeah. so that's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and now did you like feel prepared to like take that mantle of like, I'm going to give the voice to Scott of the nineties or was it just kind of like steamrolled? Yes. And no, like, I knew I could make a movie because I had made a movie. Um, and I knew that it mattered to me. Like the story mattered to me because I was one of the kids listening to Scott and other people would make fun. And, you know, at, at my high school, it was people were into to tool and nine inch nails and country music and some hip hop and hey, no Scott. Yeah. It's my school too. Yeah, oh yeah. That's everything high school or Dave Matthews band when I was in high school like the, yes yeah, that was the other big one yeah so I didn't know like I didn't have confidence that I could like do it right or like nail it but I knew I wouldn't that I knew there were some wrong things that I wouldn't do yeah you know that if somebody else made a movie about ska it might not come from the right place you know and I don't know that to be true I think anyone who's going to spend three years of their life diving into a topic has got to love it to a certain degree. But I also know that, you know, all of, also I'm one of the only people I know from my ska bands in the nineties that was still playing, like actively playing ska music. So I felt like it had been such a big part of my life that I, I don't know. I, I had more confidence than I should have because I really didn't know what I was doing, but I still was like, might as well go for it. And that came from just playing in bands and that sort of DIY culture of like, well, man, we got we to gotta make an album, but we can't afford the studio time. Somebody learn Pro Tools, you know? Mm-hmm. That's, I guess, I guess we'll do it. Do it ourselves. No, I, I love that. I love that attitude so much. And like, I just like that, fuck it. Someone else is going to fuck it up. Like, might, might as well be me. <laughs> Not, thank God. I mean, obviously you didn't fuck it up by any means, but it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, did, were there a lot of people like, did you, I mean, that you must've like known at some level from playing with or touring with um, like the Aquabats or like less than Jake, I'm sure it's somewhere down the line. You must've played with some of these cats or, or suburban legends or oh, oh, I, had to, I had to shout out the fact that you had the guy from the OC Supertones and it made me so fucking happy because I unabashedly <laughs> love the, the Supertones. Nice. Nice. Yeah, we went into it. Uh, Ray, my producer on that, who was also the bass player in my ska bands back in the early 2000s, um, he was also still active in the, the world of ska. So between us, we were still pretty connected. It's not a big community. You know, there's whatever, 20 bands that are still playing from back then. And you can't sort of, sort of can't not know them. Mm. you know if if you're in the scene it's not a very big scene and so there were a few people i didn't know personally but because we knew some people because like 
Ray knew Angelo from Fishbone and T-Bone from Save Ferris. And I knew the guys from the Pie Tasters and we had these connections. Um, you know, they sort of spirals out and people vouch for you and they're like, oh, this guy, he plays in bands, he's cool. Or like after we would get done with a couple of interviews, the people would be like, yeah, these guys seem like they know what they're doing or they're at least taking the topic seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of ska bands, um, sometimes they do get that gotcha journalism of like, they really just want you there to make fun of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely see that with ska and man, I, I won't spend too much time. I mean, if anyone hasn't seen it, please go watch it, pick it up because it's incredible. And then what I found so fascinating, like, like I said, this is for most, for, uh, for most people, but so many little things had to happen for you to land this way. So then I know you move from DC to Bend, Oregon with your wife. And then there just happens to be a blockbuster there. But at this point, it's not the last blockbuster. And, nope. um, it, and just like, how fucking random. And then how random is it that the one in Alaska closes and not the one in Bend? Right. You know? like, and then yeah. they that got happened. claimed your stake, you know? Right. So that one, it's less personal. I mean, I love blockbuster and I was a... Uh, not just a card carrying member, but when they had their subscription service, I had that and I got their discs by mail instead of Netflix. Like I was the blockbuster fan. Yeah. I I went down with the ship, but um, I had applied to work at blockbuster when I was a teenager and did not get the job. Unfortunately, I'm not bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there's still time. I, I, I have spent a lot of time in blockbuster over the past four years and I feel like I've I've paid my dues. I've put yeah, the time in. I think you did. Um, you I have not had to do inventory, but oh yeah, yeah. I worked in retail for years. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, when I moved back back to Bend here, there were actually two blockbusters in Bend uh, that first year, and the one right by my house that's like, you know, I could walk to it. What, the week I moved here, went out of business. They had the store closing clearance. And I bought a bunch of DVDs and Xbox games because I, and I had done that several times at closing video stores because those are the smoking deals. And I love physical media. You know, I still, I'll buy the disc for a video game, even though it's faster and easier to get the download. And, you know, I'll still get the Blu-ray of a movie that's on Netflix, but if it has like one special feature or audio commentary or, something because that was a huge part of like how I learned not how to make movies but how movies were made was Mm -hmm. through DVDs and directors commentaries and behind the scenes stuff so I'm still a physical media collector because they haven't really figured that out you know on digital and I'm not a I'm not an Apple person so I don't use iTunes which is the only place that has special features really yeah Uh, from what I've been told I don't use Apple's stuff yeah, just, uh, but Netflix doesn't have, know. you know, every once in a while they'll make a making of special yeah, or something, but it's its own program. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way. I, I think the way I explained it, the way I would explain it for anyone is um, like clerks two is one of my favorite movies. Like, and, but I've watched the making of clerks two more, the documentary that came with the bonus disc more than I watch clerks two. I like yeah. making more stuff more than the actual, like I'm, I'm I just rather yeah. watch a documentary about the thing I love more than the thing I love. 
Like, yeah. yeah. When I go to rewatch a movie, the default is with the director's commentary on. Yes. It, if it's a movie I, I've already seen, yes. that's the first way I want to watch it is because it's like I'm watching it with my buddy and my buddy is Steven Spielberg. You know? Yep. You know what the first one for me that got me super into was um, Simpsons was the first, at least for me, they were the first DVDs I bought where they actually put like time and effort into the DVD to make them worth the purchase. And like, yeah. I would just listen to all the commentary and like, yeah, all the same thing. I mean, obviously I'm a podcast fanatic as I'm sure there's a huge crossover of people who watch the DVD commentary and listen to podcasts yes. <laughs> as well. But yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Did you happen to see the one that, um, the one, the making of, I, forget, I wish it, it was for the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. They made a Amazon. It's on Amazon now. It's about the making of that movie. I forgot what it was called. Yep. It's its own feature. Um, yeah. Roadshow uh, or oh my something. God. I know the guy who made it. We're Facebook friends and we talked about it. Oh. I don't know him, but I know Sean knows. I've heard of his name through Sean and I know, him, I, I know his name's Josh Roush. I don't know him personally, yeah, yeah. but he's a great director. Josh, if you hear this, I love yeah. it very much. And I'm sorry I'm blanking on the name, but I refuse to look it Me up. Too. But it's on Amazon. I thought it was uh, fantastic. And as a huge Kevin Smith fan, it was a, a side of him I don't think I've ever thought I had ever seen before. So I, I really yeah, it was it. very in-depth and like real and also nice you know he's turned such a corner he's changed so much since yeah. his heart attack yeah. that it is different because after that you know i've watched um oh the the mall rats the new blu-ray the new special edition just came out I so i that. just watched the new special features and it also has the old special features so you can see like 90s Kevin Smith making the movie oh. and just different philosophies and Mallrats was such a you know it's it's been my cautionary tale of like you're an indie filmmaker if somebody offers you the big money to make the studio movie be careful because look what it did to Kevin Smith you know look what Mallrats was but I love Mallrats I, I oh, don't it's think it's favorites. the sheep yeah but it certainly did not make money <laughs> no and do you, do you happen to listen to the podcast going off track I don't. Oh, you you would love it. It's it's um well it was Jonah Bear and Stephen Smith from Fuse, but then um they have parted ways. Now Benny from Gaslight Anthem took over. Jeff Rosenstock, it was like on the probably the most recent episode. But uh the guy okay. Brad, uh he played in the goops and he's on the Mall Rights soundtrack. It's it's uh it's a it's a, it's a very much you podcast. I I all those guys have been on here. They're all really Benny and all of them are super really nice. Yeah, so it's just too funny. And so I, th I remember when we did the roundtable, I remember getting to tell you this really briefly. So I, um, my uncle owned a like a few video stores in Boston. It's either video work or video time. Uncle Greg, if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, so growing up, we were not allowed to like Blockbuster. Like it was the corporate behemoth that we hated, even though we grew up in Connecticut, not even where he was. So like at first, I was, when I saw the preview for this which i actually had seen the preview for the last blockbuster before sean even had like put up connected us all together so i was like oh cool i actually really want to see that but i was like i wasn't going into it like i give two shits about blockbuster because i was like whatever i i don't care but i found that you balanced the tone so well of like i actually now i do care about the story about the company of blockbuster a little bit and uh, what you did with the last blockbuster but that story that you really found about the community and the irony of going from indie to the corporate behemoth and then the behemoth dying and still being around and like Sandy and her family. Like, yeah, um, I think I know it says on Facebook, like, you know, it's, it's been a rough uh, 10 months for a lot of us. And I've watched it, I think yeah. 
twice with my wife and both times I come out of it with like hope and optimism for the world, like, like a ska concert. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have a tone. Uh, My first movie is similarly, similarly toned. And that's just me. Like I, I'm very careful not to say anything bad about like serious documentaries because they're important and I respect the people who make them, but I have a hard time watching like the hard hitting documentaries where you come away from it, you know, like sad or you feel guilty. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't eat meat, but I used to eat meat and I would watch documentaries about how it's horrible to eat meat and you don't feel good and you don't feel good for a while after, you know, you watch one of those until, until Super Size Me came out and it was fun and it was funny and there were jokes and like even, even the Michael Moore documentaries are the little tongue in cheek, right? They're serious topics, but he's a wacky, weird dude. And so I always kind of gravitated towards the more like quirky and also with pop culture docs, like, you know, you see the, the shows that are just like, this is a documentary about Star Wars action figures. All right, great. I'm in. Oh, I love that I know show. it's not going to be sad. Movies? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The show, yeah. and there's a film before it, uh, Plastic Galaxy. There's a feature just about Star Wars toys. Um, but those kind of things, like, you know, going in, it, it's not going to ruin your day to watch mm-hmm. it, you know? And that's kind of what I wanted to make, especially with the Blockbuster one. And I was the same way. Um, I loved the independent video stores uh, and I love movies so much that I would go to the independent store to rent the trauma movies or the weird indie horror movie or whatever the, the thing was, but they would never have the new releases because they'd have one or two copies. They'd always be out. So I would also go to Blockbuster, I would, like drive across town and go to two. And I'd have my movies from this place and also my movie from Blockbuster that was just, you know, the new, it was, it was Dogma, right? Because Dogma came out and they had 50 copies and the local place had one copy and it was always gone. So I, I totally get the people that hate Blockbuster and that's valid. They were the Walmart of video stores and they came in and, and beat up the little guys. But when I found out, when we first started making the movie, when I found out that this store, not only were they an independent store, but they kind of got bullied into becoming a blockbuster. Like it wasn't by choice. It was, you know, join us or die. Basically. Um, When I found out that that's when I was like, okay, we have a story. This is about the good guys. You know, these are the rebels. This is not the empire. They, they got sort of assimilated into the empire, but then when the empire blew up, they were still rebels at heart. Yeah. That's like such a metaphor for right now. For like forgiveness for people like you know and stuff but yeah you know it's funny and and this documentary you had i mean literally every single person in there like um that i've like i'm just a personal fan of like paul Shear, ron funches kevin smith all these great people and 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 the part of the movie that honestly that hit the hardest for me was when sandy's husband was just talking about how he's so proud of her literally brought tears to me to my eyes like that isn't that lovely i found myself like walking away from this movie and as much as i love ron funches and kevin smith and all these wonderful people i was just like i love sandy i don't know her but i just want to hug her and she just comes off as just the sweetest most kind-hearted person and and it didn't seem like that was uh for show for the movie like it, it seemed very genuine no no that she's um 
one of the most genuine and kindest people that I've ever met. And I've had the fortune of kind of for the movie, having to be around her a lot for three and a half, four years. Even now, you know, we're doing interviews together and I have to go to the store to stock up the shelf that our movie is on and get them oh, movie so posters. <laughs> I, I do work at Blockbuster on occasion. Uh, I guess I volunteer at Blockbuster. <laughs> is that a thing? Uh, but no, she's just, that's really her. What you see in the movie is her. She's genuine. She's awesome. And she's all heart. And that, you know, early on too, we we definitely decided, you know, we it's a documentary and we knew we were going to have like comedians and actors and directors talk about Blockbuster. We didn't know there was going to be a star. You know, we thought we'd talk to like five of the employees and kind of build up the world of the store. But after meeting her and talking to her, it was like, oh, this is about her. She is the store. She's been here. Now she's been there 16 years. Um, but she's, there wouldn't be a last blockbuster without Sandy. Yeah. It would have closed. I mean, the owners have told me, like, without her there, there's no reason to keep it open. No one else cares as much as Sandy does. And it's, it's yeah, it's so much less about the corporation of Blockbuster, which I, I love the scene with uh, Tom Case, the, the former CEO. And he's just like, yeah, I see. There's no, like, there, I'm sure you get the, the question, like, are video stores ever coming back? I mean, I don't think so. And he's like, no, absolutely not. And he kind of, and you did a really nice thing in the doc where like the tone of it kind of for a second, he kind of looked like an asshole, but you agree with him. And then like, you could hear your, the director, you come in from the side and explain. He's like, oh yeah, that must. And then he like literally explains what you're thinking. I'm like, even he came off really nice. Like the CEO of Blockbuster, he came off really well. And like, I don't disagree with him. Like, I don't think pre pandemic or not, I don't think video stores were ever going to come back because VHS is fucking suck. Blockbuster is terrible. There's no fucking art on the thing. There's no value to it. Like they, I mean, I'll, you know, the internet killed the independent retail of uh, that stuff. Cause like a lot of like my uncle would always learn as an adult, I would learn this stuff as an adult. So it's all age appropriate, but like the majority of their income was from the adult film section. Like that's right. where they made their money. It's like how movie theaters make their money in refreshments. Like, you mm-hmm. know, so it, it was just, so it's just like, I, I felt no love lost for like blockbuster closing, but, and then now I'm actually happy that they're still all on. Not that there's a blockbuster because it's Sandy and that wonderful community that has been built around it. It's such a beautiful story that you have carved out. Thank you. Yeah. I think the story of the store and of Sandy's journey and sort of how this small town is still kind of holding on to these ancient ways of, of renting videos it would be just as good of a story if it was called, you know, Bend Video or Local Video Store, whatever. But people, I don't think, as somebody who like browses for movies online, I think people wouldn't have watched it or it'd be a harder sell. You know, it'd be hard like to me. hook people in. Yeah. I mean, people who, yeah, who's going to watch, and there are documentaries about the local independent video stores and they're great. And I watched them but they're never going to get through. Also, you're not going to get Ron Funches and Kevin Smith to sit down for an interview yeah. unless you say, hey, we're making a movie about Blockbuster Video because everybody was like, oh, yeah, Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. That's And people like like Paul Shear and Adam Brody who worked at Blockbuster, you, you know, you don't get that part of the story 
if it's just about your local independent mm-hmm. video store. So I'm just really happy that it kind of worked out where we got to do both. Like it's about Blockbuster, but it's really about this independent store. So we get to like trick people who are come for the Blockbuster and stay for the small town video store. Yeah. Now, when Captain Marvel came out, were you just like, fuck yes, this is going to help me out? I mean, so... Talk about good luck, everything. Huh? Yeah, everything that happened... We started the movie in early, early 2017. And at that time, there were a dozen blockbusters left. They were in uh, three in Oregon, some in Texas, and a bunch in Alaska. And I was also working on the Scott documentary, you know, at the same time. So we would get like these news updates from Sandy. She would call or text and be like, well, there's only four left or now we're down to five or, oh, we're the last one in the state. And we would come and we'd film for a little while and I'd go back to the, the Scott doc, but we would shoot the interviews like back to back, like the Lloyd Kaufman interview was in New York. So we shot that when I shot the slackers interview for the Scott doc, because I was in New York. We don't have like extra budget sure. to go to places twice. So we did, you know, did the um and the guy from smash mouth is in both movies we just extended the interview and talked to him about both things <laughs> i was gonna ask you that because it's even the same backdrop <laughs> yeah it's the same that's clip, awesome. the same video file it's just the beginning and the end one is scott one so is smart. blockbuster so it was always you know blockbuster was happening but i was making the scott movie and i would keep hearing these things like you know somebody and once you tell people you're making a blockbuster movie everybody texts you when something happens. Like when the Captain Marvel trailer dropped, I probably got 25 text messages saying, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Did you see the Captain Marvel trailer? It's got Blockbuster video in it. You like Blockbuster. You should, I don't know, go to the, I don't know what people expected from me. <laughs> it, it still happens um, whenever anything Blockbuster related hits the news, right? They just did an Airbnb with the store that, you know, we decided we knew it was going to happen, but we're like, we got to wrap this movie up. Things are going to keep happening forever. Eventually we just have to end it. Mm. (laughs) But um, that happened. And I get, you know, all these messages and tagged in tweets and Facebook posts. It's like, you like blockbuster. You should know this story. Um, But that kept happening for years. You know, the John Oliver thing with the uh, Russell Crowe jockstrap and And when, you know, the Alaska stores closed and this became the last one, it was almost a constant news cycle about Blockbuster for the whole three and a half years we were shooting the movie. Um, And all of that was just good luck for us. We couldn't have planned for Captain Marvel to use Blockbuster as an icon for the 90s, a nostalgia beacon, really. Um, but from a storytelling standpoint, it made perfect sense. And then we got to use that clip and say, look, nostalgia for this thing is, is hitting a, a pit, a peak. You know, it's like right now, everybody cares about the 90s. You know, the young kids are like, oh, it's 90s, it's retro, just like the 70s were when we were in high school. Yeah. And um, you also get that thing where people like us grow up and now we've got jobs and with jobs comes a little bit of disposable income. So we're the target audience for things. 
So of course they're going to put Blockbuster in the new Marvel movie because it's going to scratch that itch for the nostalgia in the back of your brain. It's like, oh man, I went to there. I remember that. No, yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it, it's every, every few years you'd see like a, a pop-up video on the news. Like one, there's a Blockbuster video and whatever. Like that was always like a thing. Like there was always like, it was just like, a, it became like a thing on the internet. And it's just so right. funny. And just... Just I can't believe by happenstance you just happened to had moved to that town. You must thank your wife every day, like thank you for making this move to Bend, Oregon, and probably for other reasons. I, <laughs> I am yeah, very grateful. It's a beautiful town. Um, it's a good town to be quarantined in. Lots of outdoor nature stuff to do. Um, but How has uh, Sandy's reaction been to the film? Like, because she seems like uh, you know a normal person, and now she's like kind of a celebrity. Yes. Yeah. So well. She was a celebrity before, and we talk about that in the movie, but when the news hit, she was on, you know, every talk show wanted Sandy on to talk about the last yeah, blockbuster in the so world, cool. and she was all over the place. And so she kind of developed, a, you know, not, not a persona, she is who she is, but she got used to the idea of being a quote-unquote celebrity she's certainly a local celebrity everybody around here knows sandy and they know blockbuster but um we our world premiere was pushed due to covid for a couple of months and then in the summer we got to do it at a drive-in theater which was really cool i never thought that would happen you know but circumstances being what they are drive-in theaters were the way and she was there at the world premiere in her pickup truck with her husband and her kids in the oh. other van and all the employees from blockbuster came and they were all so supportive and you know she's she's not the kind of person who will watch herself in stuff so i think she doesn't necessarily watch all those news clips but we mm. put them all in the movie so she had to see them so it's a double dose of like you're in this movie but also here's all the things you've been doing for the past two years yeah and, and we're you know reliving her life on screen but she says she likes it she's still very nice she's not like excited about it she's not like you know look at me i'm a movie star she's got work to do she's still running a blockbuster That's but so cool. she's happy and now the movie is at the store and people are renting it and coming back to blockbuster and they'll buy a copy and they'll have her sign it and it's, it's pretty awesome That's yeah, i don't know it just makes me so happy and one of the and I, you did this too, I thought really well with the Sky Doc and with uh, Pick It Up with this, where you have Doug Benson come fly out to come see it and seeing him walk into it, like like how you do with the Pick It Up, where like kind of Scott is like the avatar for the re for the rest of us. I was like, mm -hmm. I imagine that would be my experience if I was Doug Benson. And I, I, again, huge Doug Benson fan. I've been listening to the interrupt Benson, I'm sure, like for his podcast for years. So. Like yeah. you, you couldn't have not checked off all the boxes of people. Like I love to see pop it on both of your films. Uh, or, so I was like, what, the, what the fuck, man, this is perfect. But like, <laughs> he just looks uh, like a huge, I'm a huge Doug Loves Movies fan as well. And like, yeah. no, A, he's a great stoner comedian and a stoner comedian name, but he's a movie, like letter Moulton status of uh, knowledge. Well, to that's see him. why we put him in the movie. Oh, that's why Doug Loves Movies fan too. That's why he and Sam Levine are in the movie. Because I, I knew that's movies right. from the Leonard Malton game yep. on Doug Loves Movies. He always wins. He's the ringer. He's low Wolverine. Yeah. So uh, we went to him first. Um, well, I, I'm sure we reached out at the same time, but he was the first one to be like, sure, I'll do a 
a documentary interview. Why not? So nuts. Uh, but yeah, Doug, um, we shot his interview first in LA and I actually wasn't even there for that. I had coordinated it, but um, my producer, co-filmmaker on the project, he was down there shooting that interview and sort of just floated the idea of like, wouldn't it be fun for you to come to Blockbuster? And Doug was like, yeah, sure. Like and then a few months later, he hit us up. He's like, yeah, I think I will come to Blockbuster. And he paid for his own flight and put himself up in a hotel. Like he did that. We just documented him going to Blockbuster. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's, that's what kind of guy he is. He's awesome. He, he, he's someone who doesn't get a good enough, like people don't understand the fucking genius of that guy. Like he is, yeah. I mean, he's a fellow documentary filmmaker as well yeah. and, and stuff, but like, God, God, he's the best. That, that makes me so happy. That's really cool. That is really Me too. He just gave us a shout out on Doug Loves Movies and we didn't ask him to do that. He just does it. He's like, I got a new movie coming out. Doug plugs. And it's That's like, really nice. It's and so awesome. What, what was your experience getting to interview uh, Kevin Smith as a fellow, fellow Smith head? Or I don't know what we call ourselves, but fan of his work. Sure. Yeah. Um, huge fan. Like he would be number one on my list of influential filmmakers. Mm. You know, Clerks was my, for years, my favorite movie and I'll still put it on. I have the VHS in my office. I have an old TV and a VHS that I could put on and then work, you know, so it's next to me with the sound off. I'll just put Clerks, Mallrats, whatever. But um, no, I was a huge Kevin Smith fan and those special features and seeing how, you know, he did his first movie, putting it on credit cards and just sort of did it, didn't ask permission, just made a movie. That's, I mean, that was definitely literally going through my mind when I made my first movie is like, you can just make a movie. I know because Kevin Smith did it right. Mm. Like he kind of set the, uh, you know, set my expectations of what could be done. Um, and then yeah, I've followed him forever. I listen to his podcasts. I am a big fan. All the movies. They they're not as influential to me now. Like I love I still watch them and laugh, but it's not like I'm basing my life around yeah. you know, um Clerks Two as much as Clerks One, you know? Yeah. There's a difference. Um but it was the I think it was the only time in both all three of my movies where I was like legitimately starstruck and like in awe of the person I was having to work with. And he wasn't having a good day when we shot that interview. He, um, something was going on with his daughter and just seeing him, he's kind of showed up late and he was like not in a great mood, but super kind and super like he turned it on he knew what we were trying to get and he was super professional about it but he also you know hung out with us after and was talking about movies and talking about blockbuster and all this stuff and he didn't have to do i mean he didn't have to do it at all yeah. it's easy for him to just say no thank you but to spend that time and it's it's something really unique because of the type of movies I make. Like when I meet like my heroes in ska music, it's to sit down for two hours and talk about ska music. 
Mm-hmm. And when I meet my heroes in the movie world, it's to sit down for two hours and talk about movies. You know, it's not like, oh, because I, once I casually met Bill Murray, we did not sit down for two hours and talk about Ghostbusters like I would have wanted. Yep. You know, we just asked if I could take a picture and then he goes and it's, that's it. So it's not just meeting your heroes, but it's like connecting about the thing, the reason that that's mm-hmm. someone I look up to. Um, so it was super impactful for me, the Kevin Smith day. Um, but he's, you know, a much, much busier guy. Like I can get a hold of Doug Benson right now. I cannot get through to Kevin Smith. I have no way to get in touch. There's no, you know, he knows he's in this movie and it's coming out, I think. I, yeah, I've but heard I, him talk about it on Fat Man Beyond. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I cool. listened to, yeah, I've heard him shout it out. I, I probably tweeted you. I got super excited for you. Sweet. Yeah. Well, that's great. But see, I don't know that because we're, you know, he's still up on a, another level to me. Sure. And that's, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, I kind of think. Yeah, no, he's hard to get a hold of. So then he gave you a lot of time. Oh, at least in the doc, he's in it like a good amount and he really performed really yeah. well. He played real well. Like, no, he yeah. gave us a lot of time and he, you know, we, we got to do it at, at his bar there where he does the, the podcast. Oh, you got to go that's there? That's at Scum and Villainy. Yeah. Oh, we spent oh that's great. There when they were closed. We actually shot another interview there with, with JC from Scum and Villainy, the, the owner, the guy who runs the place, because he used to be a manager at Blockbuster. Oh, um, I love JC. He didn't make it into the movie, but he's on the DVD. He's on the special features. Oh, I cannot wait to buy he that. He had some fun. He's actually in the original Kickstarter video that we did. Because oh, he did have so some great cool. anecdotes, but our our editor decided we had too many people. Clearly, he hadn't seen the ska movie. <laughs> no, I I totally understand. Like I feel at like at my core, of, it sounds like both of us have might have that in similar our personality types of uh, people who make these things. Like the podcast is like always secretly just a way to talk to the people. Like you're right, it's the same thing. I don't want like I don't like autographs. I don't like that. I. It's actually kind of selfish if you think about it. It's like, I don't want just a quick interaction. Like I, it's the same reason I like watching documentaries. It's like, I just always need more and like get right. to talk to people that you look up to or admire or look to watch from afar. It's, you know, and some people are famous and sometimes it's people that just mean a lot to you and they're just like, you know, I just did a band, whatever. But you're like, right. So it's, right. it's a, it's a wonderful experience. If anyone has the opportunity, find a way to trick people into be, uh, to interview them. It's one of the coolest things yes. you can do. Yeah, I do. I think about that a lot. Um, whenever we get bad news, like we don't get into a film festival or, you know, oh, we didn't get that Netflix deal or whatever the thing is. I, I think about like 18 year old me and how, what I would have given to like spend a day with Kevin Smith talking about movies or an afternoon with the guys from Real Big Fish and the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones talking about ska. And like, that's what I do for a living now. Yeah, that's the craziest thing. So cool. <laughs> like yeah. I can't even. So if the movies flop, if nobody likes them and they don't ever get anywhere and they never make any money, it was still super worth it because of the experience of making them. Sure. Plus, I got to hang out with Sandy for three years. Yeah, <laughs> <She's> the- <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, and I, I don't think that will be the case with Blockbuster. It seems like uh, I, I'm hoping it does. Hope. Hopefully it's very financially viable for you. It's, it's, 
it's I can't I really can't gush over how much I loved it. Like it truly is one of the best documentaries. It's one of my favorite documentaries I've ever watched. I'll, I'll give like wow. if I'm giving like my top five. Yeah, yeah. They're not gonna make any sense, but the Made in America OJ is up there. Cocaine mm-hmm. Cowboys is up there. Last Blockbusters up there. I put a fat rack up in there. Like I I know I know Sean, but I really like a fat rack. Um, I watch a lot of drug war documentaries as well. Sure. One oh, I forgot the business, the union, the business behind getting high. I much watch that like a million fucking times as well. Like, and my my interests are all over the place. Like, I my my professional background. I'm a, a case manager at a psychiatric hospital, and like, so I, I work with like substance abuse and all that stuff. So like, my interests are both like mental health and then obsessive pop culture. So like, the docs I tend to watch are either super sad or this. <laughs> So oh, man. it's nice to watch a happy one again. Oh, that's, that's why we make them. Yeah. yeah. I feel as though I can speak for every filmmaker, but for one person to appreciate it and like connect or make somebody feel better on an off day, that's why, you know, that's, yeah. I can't imagine it. So, um, and then I forgot to mention this too. I didn't realize, I remember when Scott doc came out, the, um, my, uh, our, our mutual friends, Chuck and Brad from the Chuck and Brad podcast, they did the, um, they hosted it, I think, in Boston, New York. And I think I was supposed to go to one of them. And of course, like my kid got sick and couldn't go. Shit, so I missed it. But I listened to their podcast. I don't believe you were there, but I remember getting, David Wayne was there. And I remember being like really excited for them and upset that I didn't, jealous, happy for them. You know, jealous, but happy for them as well because they're yeah. good guys and they deserve it. Yeah, those guys are great. And they, I don't even remember how that happened. We got connected through something probably through the podcast world or like a publicist or something. Um, and I, I was setting up the Boston screening with Dave from big D like he was going to sort of host it, I guess. And then um, I think the New York one was with Scott from real big fish. Um, and they just sort of said, Hey, we can, we can host the Q and a if you want. I was like, do like you that. like Scott music? Yeah. Okay, great. Go for it. Cause I couldn't go to all of them. We did like 90 something screenings and I was only able to go to a dozen or so. Um, Cause you make, you know, little insider baseball, you make about 300 to $400 doing a, like a sold out screening like that after you pay for promo and mm. all the theater rentals and things like that. So if I had flown to all of them, I would have made $0 or lost money. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't able to go to the ones that weren't on the west coast sure of course so what's your um for like the distribution and promotion of this like with the uh the industry um, i'm not sure if you saw the news like literally an hour ago they just announced wonder woman's coming to uh straight to hbo max thank fucking god i'm stoked yeah but, um how does this i'm change? not going to theater anytime no. soon and we have some drive-ins around here but by that time it's gonna be too cold to even do it but yeah i'm not going to one not yeah. in this country at least and um, yeah. what's, what's, how is that affecting your release of this? Is it kind of just more of a digital approach? Virtual screenings? Yeah, yeah we did a couple of, of virtual screenings and a couple of film festivals. I think we did five or six now that were switched to virtual. And it's weird because it's different. Um, it's way less fun. I loved with the ska movie going around and doing the screenings and we would have bands play after and we would do the Q and a, and it would be this huge party and everybody would go out drinking afterwards. And it was this big, like 
ska family reunion in almost mm. every town. Oh. You know, so you get all these people that you haven't seen in 20 years, but you remember them from the ska scene that you grew up in, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, oh. And those, like, I'm going to treasure those memories for the rest of my life. Like the one we did in Eugene, where I played in those bands, three of my old ska bands from the 90s and early 2000s did reunion shows, did a set after. So I played three sets in a row with these dudes I haven't played music with, you know, in some cases since the 90s. And those experiences were amazing. And that's like the power of uh, not just a movie, but like a shared cultural experience where people get together and appreciate some dumb piece of art, whether it's a documentary about ska music or a documentary about blockbuster video or a concert or a, a movie. Um, and I love the theatrical experience. I was like, a, I had a movie pass for the eight months that that was a viable thing. Um, and I still have a subscription to Regal. Uh, if they're ever open, they haven't been charging me during the pandemic, but you know, because it was always worth it, even though it's 25 bucks a month, I would go to six movies in a month yeah. and it would be a great deal. Um, so I'm a huge proponent for the in-person physical, the theatrical experience, uh, the event, right? Oh, with yeah. a with a Q&A or with a, a meet and greet or whatever the thing is. Like I had it in the back of my head, I was going to take all my pop culture movies I was making and get booths at comic book conventions and sell DVDs one at a time and posters and action figures. And that's the kind of person I want to be with movies. All of that is gone right now. There are no conventions. There are no theaters. There are no film festivals. There are no meet and greets or there shouldn't be. So we are doing, we did a few drive-ins and that was kind of fun, but super weird because you, you know, you can't hear people laugh at the jokes and they honk their horns at the end, which like I'm a, a scared little person who gets scared by car horns. So that was like not fun, but I, <laughs> I get the idea behind it. Um, so we've been very lucky. We got a distributor that we like. Uh, they're called 1091 used to be the orchard and they've put out movies like um, hunt for the wilder people and what we do in the shadows. And they kind of get the quirky indie tone. Um, and we've been working with them. We're doing this digital release on December 15th and it's going to be uh, like a wide digital release. It'll be on cable VODs and everywhere you can rent movies and buy movies, Amazon, iTunes, Fandango, Xbox, satellite it's actually going to be on dish network to rent even though dish owns blockbuster it's like a whole full circle thing that's so funny um but the distribution thing that's the coolest to me is that we were able to make dvds and get them on the shelf at blockbuster while there was still a blockbuster uh -huh. that was like a goal from day one um and so i don't know maybe 30 people have rented it so far because it's a pandemic you got to wear a mask it's six feet apart and they're at reduced capacity um, but even if just one person had gone in and rented it, that would have been so like a really cool life achievement for me. But yeah, we're doing, it's all digital. Um, but it will be, I mean, I don't know. This is my first time with a distributor, so I don't know what to expect, but they tell us it's getting a pretty wide release and that it will be places. And I'm hoping if there is a benefit to COVID, it's that there aren't a lot of movies coming out. And so instead of being, you know, one of 10,000 movies that hits 
iTunes in December, maybe we're one of 50. Yeah. And so maybe that's a benefit. I don't know, but it still sucks not doing theaters. I know. it's uh, COVID just sucks. There's no way around that one. <laughs> I think, yeah, we, um, we had worked with a site called See Alive where they do like, um, like interactive like watch movie watches. Uh, we did like a, our birthday match with them. But I think the first Friday after our movie comes out, uh, I don't know if you know Film Threat with Chris Gore. No. He used to be on G4 TV. He did the DVD reviews every Tuesday, DVD Tuesday. Um, but he has a podcast. It used to be like a paper magazine back in the day about indie film that I would read called Film Threat. Uh, now it's a podcast and a website and all these things. Uh, but he's doing like a live watch along thing. And I think it's the first Friday after it comes out. So in the middle of December, we're all going to get on zoom and it's like a live audio commentary. So me and Sandy and oh, the other yeah. filmmakers and we're, yeah. you know, we're hoping Doug Benson and, We'll, we'll ask Kevin. We'll see if he'll do it. Probably not, but yeah. it'll be with the cast and crew and a, a podcast host. And we're going to do a live watch along so people can, you know, hopefully you've already seen it. This will be the second viewing. Sure. Ideally. But that's a cool thing. And that, you know, that is something I, I would say the, the sort of live streaming zoom, I don't know, revolution that has happened because of COVID is kind of cool because there are those things like I watched the, the movie reunions that Josh Gad is doing. Yeah. Uh, And uh, the, there was one that was the cast of that thing you do, which is my all time favorite movie. That's not part of a trilogy. Um, It's probably one of Tom Hanks best. I, I, in all honesty. Yeah. It's I, I fucking love that. I watched that and obsessed with Mount on VH1 and being like, why is this so good? It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. And he directed it. That's and a made for TV like, movie. Co wrote the songs. Yeah. And yeah, that I couldn't believe. And it, and it was made for VH1. It wasn't even made for theatrical release. I literally own it. And the only way I was ever made to buy it is from a Walmart $5 bin. And it was with like three <laughs> other movies. Oh, uh, yeah. I've got, got it on VHS and Blu ray and the, uh, the different director's cut that has a whole like, um, like a, a gay couple subplot that was cut out where Tom Hanks's character is gay. It's great. Oh so it's a whole God. thing and I can't yeah. believe they cut it out, but it's, um, you know, things like that where they get the cast back together or the bands getting back together and doing live streams and all that. That's kind of cool. You know, if, if you're going to have to have a pandemic, I'm sure glad that there's zoom and video chat and, technology yeah same 20 years ago this would have been a lot worse i know i i love the i, I like the optimism so i i, I hope i hope to get to see you hope to see the some fun cool promotional stuff and that um yeah i'll send you the see live stuff i think you you and your crew would really can benefit from it because i the, i found it because um i'm a huge fan of the podcast blank check and griffin actually it was griffin and paul Shear were doing a watch along of galaxy quest where you could watch it with them and then you had a nice. chat box and then they had like the video of Griffin and Paul and, and like, and it was so much fun. And then we ended up, we did a spider for our, our, our show turn seven. We did a um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse watch party with all, all of our fans that came all together. And it was the most fun I've ever had. It was oh, super nice. fucking fun. Cause it, it just, I guess it's like the old timer, like, like me, the old timer, like just learning Twitch for the first time. I'm like, this is what you kids been doing. 
this is great. Oh, excellent. Oh man, tell, I can't thank you enough for your art and uh, for your time, both for the, the round table and that wonderful poster you made for us, uh, that I, which uh, really warmed my heart that I absolutely love and uh, for doing the podcast. So like, where, um, where can people find you online? Yeah, I, I have social media. I'm, my name is Taylor Morden. I am Googleable. Um, the movies, I'm at Ska Movie on all the platforms, I think. And then Last Blockbusters at Last Blockbuster Movie on Facebook and Instagram and Last Block Doc on Twitter. And they got dot coms and stuff, but you know, Google, you can just Google us. <laughs>